one small way that you can help is if you see somebody sharing on social media about a rare disease is to share the information with other people, to champion that person, to um, show some compassion. Because a lot of times I've seen people that share their journey with rare disease. I, I know some families on TikTok, they get some really bad hate comments, like they're just trying to get attention. And I want to say, yes, of course, they're trying to get attention. <laughs> they're trying to get attention because they want to save their child. Welcome to the Elite View Podcast, where we explore the fabulous, extraordinary world of the people who move the needle of success. Join our host, Tiffany, and producer, Kyle, as we dive into the stories and insights of the elite few who are making a difference and pushing the boundaries of what's possible. Let's get started. Welcome to the Elite Few Podcast. I'm your producer, Kyle, along with my host, Tiffany Feeney. Say hi, Tiffany. Welcome so back, today's guys. Episode, today's episode is a very special one. Uh, but before we get to our guest, I want to show Tiffany, and hopefully it'll show up. Uh, this is a first try for me. I want to show Tiffany something that we have just now launched on our website. Ooh, um, I do want to see. And it's a surprise for her. And as soon as I click the right buttons, what do you see right now, Tiffany? Um, Kyle Producer is sharing the screen. Nope, now I see it. Yep. In Torini, Greece, with me in a dress. Okay, perfect. Now, okay. this is the surprise. That's not the surprise. Oh, okay. You know this website. I, yeah, you know yeah. this website. You know it well. You were there, yeah. right? I was there. This yeah. is what's the surprise. Can you see that? Oh, yes. I love it. Sheila cannot see it. <laughs> what is it? It says stay fabulous, and fabulous is all glittery. Oh. Like It's, it's like, a t shirt. It's our new t shirt. We're launching our t shirt. We're launching our, yes. our, our store. Oh, so I our, need we're going to shirts. Like look at the mugs. <laughs> Look at this. We got mugs. Oh, my God. So we have now launched our store officially on this show. Go. Oh. The link will be in the in the description. We are going to have a bunch of different T-shirts, different mugs, different sayings that you can have. Stay fabulous. Uh, the elite few. I'm the elite few. There's are all kinds of stuff. To put, Go and explore. Like, the elite few on the side or something? Uh-huh. Oh, no, no. Like, no. The, we're, we're, we're well, we can do anything you want. I just wanted to show you what I've done for the very first iteration of this. Oh my God. And then I... now that we have this store, we can, uh, we can accomplish anything. So, oh my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh my God. I love, I love, I love surprising you. So, I all right. Now it. we're back. Oh God, I love you so okay. much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be genuine, you know? I know it's so. very genuine. Yeah. Oh my yep. God. I, I love that it. was, that's, that's what I, I stayed up script. last night building. I love the thing you did that last night. I built the well the 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 uh, script and all the words were being built over the last couple of weeks oh, uh, so by a, by by someone I hired to do that. But uh, building the website 52. where you can actually go order it, Drinking you can actually go order pizza. it right now. Like it's live. So I love it. Oh my god, I'm so okay. excited. So all right, so that was the introduction to the Elite Few podcast and our new store. So go visit and remember at Elite Few. Uh, we're all about the fabulous, extraordinary people in this world that make a difference. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with a woman who's making a big difference in the healthcare field and for patient advocacy. You'll hear her story in a few minutes, and and it is it is very special. It is very touching. It is very heart wrenching. But plowing through it, her and her family, her daughter—that's the most important thing of the whole of the whole situation. But it's going to show you. It's she's going to explain to you how broken our system is, and hopefully through this podcast, through her knowledge, through her advocacy, 
is going to change that for these rare diseases that we're going to talk about. So Tiffany, go ahead and introduce Sheila to everybody and, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on with the show. All right. I want to introduce Sheila Hain and she's a daughter named Lily with a very rare disease and her path and story for the last six years is incredible. I want you guys to have tissues. This is another one of those episodes. So just get ready. It's really intense. And I don't believe anyone watching this will not be able to feel her pain and what she went through. Sheila. Hi. Thank <laughs> you so much. Show. Thank you so much for having me and for doing Welcome, something Sheila. like this. Yeah. Thank you. Both of you. Anytime, well, anytime. You have, you have pleasure. definitely um, been through it. And I think you said she was four and a half when she first got right. diagnosed or yes. not even diagnosed when you first started seeing symptoms, right? right? When she was officially diagnosed, how long did that take? Um, it took a good six months. So she was a very happy, healthy, active child. Um, she loved to run and jump and play and go on long walks with us and her dog. Um, she's just very happy. But at, even at four years old, she would go on little mini adventure runs with me. But at about four and a half, we started to notice that she, her coordination started to deteriorate and her balance. And she started to get tired really easily and her stamina kind of went away and she could only do short walks. So we took her to the doctor and they said it was fine. But then she fell off a slide in um, preschool and she started to complain at the same time about back pain, wrist pain, um, tailbone pain. So we took her to her pediatrician and she said she's fine. They did an x-ray um, of her wrist, said she's fine, sent us home. But she continued to have more and more pain to the point where she was guarding and limping and eventually she stopped walking altogether. So we brought her back to the doctor several times. We brought her to emergency rooms and they kept telling us um, she's fine. She has atypical growing pains. Um, they would say crazy things like she's constipated or just things that didn't make sense. You know, yeah. as a mom, that something's going on and yeah. you want to help her so bad, but we just kept getting turned away. Um, and she just started, she was inconsolable. She was crying day and night. So oh. we were just going in and out of emergency rooms. Finally, we changed pediatricians. We got a hold of an orthopedic doctor. We brought her into an orthopedic doctor and we were seen by a, a physician assistant, not a doctor, a physician assistant. And she looked at her x-rays and she said, I, I don't think this is a buckle break in her wrist. I, I think she has lesion in her wrist and one in her knee. I think these are lesions and I'm really concerned. I'm going to have the orthopedic doctor look at the x-rays and call you later. So we waited at home and the orthopedic doctor's office called later and they said, nope, not lesions. That's a, a buckle break. This keeps a splint on, even though she'd been on a splint forever and it wasn't healing. Um, and that's a and real quick. Can you, ex can, can you explain what lesions are? Um, or sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Just for our I mean, listeners that may not know sure, what that is. So it's, um, where inflammation attacks the bone and it creates a sort of lesion in the bone, like it can eat out bone or it can create extra growth. It depends on what kind of lesion you have. Um, okay. So it's, it's, it has to do, it's hers inside, were in the bone. It's not external, right? Right, okay. right. So you can't see it externally. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so she's, so the, the orthopedic office said, don't worry, it, that's just a benign cyst and that's a buckle break. Put the splint back on. Um, there's nothing horrible going on. And we knew that wasn't true, but we said, okay. That night again, she was screaming and crying all night long. So I called the orthopedics office and I wanted them to hear it. I put the phone up to her and I said, do you hear her crying and screaming? This is not normal. They said, okay, bring her in the morning. But that morning when she got up, both her feet were numb. We didn't know she fell down the stairs. 
So we mm. rushed her to the ER. This time we demanded that they hospitalize her. They hospitalized her, but when we got up to our room, a doctor came into the room that we have never met before. And instead of saying, I'm sorry, let's figure out what's going on, she condescendingly looked at us and said, I think this is psychological and she's just trying to get your attention. And at that point, I said, it's fine that you think that I have a doctorate degree in psychology and I know she's not somaticizing you do. You you can do any evaluation you want, but first do the MRI, please. So we were exhausted. We we're just so, so tired and so much pain. And they did the MRI the next day and they said, we're sorry. Um, we think she has brain cancer because she has lesions throughout her whole body. The lesion in her wrist created a hole in the bone and actually created death around that bone. There are lesions in her spine, putting her at risk for fracture and spinal collapse. They're throughout her legs. We don't know what's going on. We think she has brain cancer. Um, so that was a horrible 24 hours until they did the MRI. But to this day, when I talk about it, I still get emotional and I'm going to try not to get emotional no, here. It's okay. Um, it's okay. And honestly, yeah. I get angry because of course they not, they, the way they treated us and they also stole her voice and invalidated her experiences. Um, and you're taught your whole life to trust doctors that they're there to help you. And so you're just shocked and surprised. And they actually made my daughter worse physically and emotionally by the way that they treated her. Um, you know, the next day when they did the brain MRI, they said her brain looks beautiful. We don't know what's going on. She had to be hospitalized. She had all these procedures. She had the lesion cut out of her wrist and the dead bone cut out of her wrist. And they finally diagnosed her with CROMO or CRMO, which stands for Chronic Recurrent Multifocal Osteomyelitis. And that is the beginning of our journey with the medical system. At this point, she has really great doctors, but to get where we are right now, and we still experience ignorance and egos, um, when she was hospitalized. Well, they're doctors. Yeah. And we have oh, some. I like, we may need <laughs> to change the name of this uh, this episode to Ignorance and Egos. I like it. <laughs> I, like I like it a lot. One. Yeah. But um, for instance, she, her disease is an auto-inflammatory, autoimmune modulated disease. So she had to see a rheumatologist and we went to a rheumatologist that had never seen Chromo. And we, but as parents, you research and you find out there's an expert in the U.S. that deals with it internationally. She's a researcher and a doctor that treats. So we want to go see this doctor. We asked mm -hmm. her rheumatologist, can you send, um, can you let our insurance know that we want to see the doctor? And she said, yes, yeah, she was going to. Well, we were denied and we couldn't figure out why we were denied. So we called the insurance company and we found out that the doctor had told them that she didn't think it was necessary. So I confronted the doctor and she said, she got all worked up and she said, I am not a technician. I don't take orders from anybody, despite not having any experience um, with Chromo. And for me, I like to be in a room where people are smarter than me and uh. I could learn and she could like be a better doctor but she wouldn't, she wouldn't, we had to pay out of pocket there, to go point. see. You know insurance. that you yeah. have to back down and say, you, I can't handle this. And, and, you know, even in your field of behavior analysis, first thing we're supposed to do, if we have not dealt with the situation, say, we're going to get somebody right. who's dealt with right. this and is experienced. Right. It's just, it, it is the ego of these people with these little degrees that have a D on it. Yeah. And I, I understand I could have one someday, but come on, there's got to be some humility in this situation. Yes, absolutely. And that's how you become a better person too, by learning from other people yeah, around you, a right. better professional. But, um, yeah. so it's been quite the journey and, you know, we still have these instances where like, for instance, she was, she had to go get an MRI. She has to get MRIs a lot to check on the lesions, to make sure that her, her spine's okay and all that. 
So we went to a new hospital this time, and this was just a couple months ago. And um, she's been medically traumatized because she's had so many infusions, needles, all kinds of stuff. So she's scared of needles. So they have a procedure at the old hospital where they give her gas and then they put the IV in. And we were told that would be fine at this hospital, but she was nine. She just turned 10 recently. Um, and the nurse comes in and he says to my daughter right before the procedure, I think you're a little bit old to be so scared and doing this this way. We think you should build a handle just getting the IV. And she starts crying. And I asked him, do you know her history? Do you know what she's been through? And he's like, no. And I said, she's been medically traumatized. She, this is, can we do it next time? And he said, well, you know, if you get gas, it can like make her um, exasperate into her lungs and death could happen. In front of my daughter, who is now oh petrified, God. she's shaking uncontrollably. She's afraid she's going to die. And I'm holding it together because I don't want her to see me crying. Right. And then I walk her and I get to walk with her. They decided to um, let her do it the way that it had been planned. I walk with her in the back room while they put her to sleep. And as soon as she's asleep, I start crying because... My daughter has been through so much and now she has this fear that she's going to die anytime she needs a procedure now where she has to be put to sleep, she's going to die. She thinks she's going to die. Now I have to overcome this obstacle with her. And I asked, I said, I left the room and then the, the doctor, her doctor's actually great. This was not the doctor did it. She came to me. She's like, why were you crying? What happened? I told her and she was like really upset. And I said, as a rare disease parent, we're always second guessing our decisions. Are we making the right decision? Are we giving the right treatment. There's no FDA approved treatments for her disease. There's no cure. So it's all trial and error. And all these things have consequences. How am I supposed to know what's the right thing to do for her? I trust you guys. And now you come in and you tell me that she's she could possibly die from having, you know, the gas mask person. She's like, no, 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 that's misinformation. If she was older and obese, that would be more of a risk. And I'm so sorry this happened, but we have things like that happen all the time. And um, a lot of times the patient and their family's voice gets left out of the room and it's just the the professional that's in the room that gets all this say and they don't consider the lived experience of the patients or how much the parent I know more than any of her doctors except for her expert absolutely I'm not saying that to sound egotistical or anything I know more about her disease than every single doctor we see except for her expert I most doctors that we go to they know nothing and I have to educate them I have to tell them about it so I think that there needs to be an approach where the patient's voice is allowed in the room and that you approach the situation from a collaborative stance rather than one where they're talking down to you and they think they know everything. Um, right. You know, and yeah, that's, that's such a, that's such an impactful, what you just said was really, I know it just punched Tiffany in the stomach, but it punched me in the stomach too, because we both, I'm in healthcare. I'm a, I'm a full-time paramedic and I've done healthcare and in the hospital setting. And I've seen doctors do what you're saying. And it's always like they leave and I have to like try to fix it, you know, because yeah. it's because it these people are very scared. I mean, let alone someone who's been traumatized like your daughter. So when it comes to the, you know, if 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 you are a, a healthcare person and you're listening to this, I urge you to understand the other other ears that are in the room and and the appropriate discussion that you can have, you know, with 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 a, a family member and to just and to just what what's the old fashioned words that you, you know put yourself in their shoes yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, exactly. to, to be able to talk properly in front of you know 
Lily or in front of the, the mother or in front of whatever, whatever loved one you have. So yeah, Tiffany, you it, have, I know that you probably had a comment on that, but I don't want to get away from it. I just, um, you know, I went through a lot trying to get diagnosis for everything that I was dealing with with my autoimmune issues. And it's been, it was literally a nightmare because you do get that. You get all these people telling you one, it's either in your head. We're not seeing it on this form. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought in the very beginning it was a thyroid imbalance, but it kept being, it would pendulum, but it wouldn't go high or low. And we just, I, I knew I couldn't have gluten anymore because I was just could tell in my body how sick I would get immediately. And it would put me out for weeks. Like, mm. like I'd get pneumonia, like it was terrible. And so we just kept going and going, and going. I knew I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, but nobody would listen because it wasn't showing up the way they believed it should. And they just diagnosed me this year with it. It was too late. I already knew I had it. And I said, well, I actually told you guys that like five years ago, but you know, whatever. We won't get into what I said, which is what I actually said to them word for word. <laughs> I said, <laughs> we won't get into that. And, she, and she's like, all right. And I'm like, you know, my, my issue is even in, in emergency rooms, what you said, the one doctor said something, um, well, you should probably be on a thyroid medicine. I said, I'm sorry. Maybe you don't understand because you're not educated in this disease. Um, and it was for Hashimoto's thing. I'm like, that doesn't, medicine doesn't help. It's an autoimmune issue unless you're high or low. And the reason most people end up with hyperthyroidism is because they're on that medicine mm -hmm. and you're putting them on thin roids, which pushes them into that. Now they have two issues, the autoimmune dis disease and a thyroid problem. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know what? You need to back down. I said, no, I think you forgot you work for me. Mm, exactly. And I, he said, excuse me. I said, excuse me. You're in my room. I'm paying for this. You work for me. Mm -hmm. I said, let's remember your place. And he's like, I don't appreciate it. I said, I actually do not care what you appreciate. And I got downright bitchy yeah. because I was over it. And I was at a place in my life. I was in my forties. So, you know, once you hit that, the four, don't you hit the F words, <laughs> your tolerance goes <laughs> yeah. way, way down. You are just like, right. And then once you hit that second F word, it's and your confidence grows and you're just willing to say, stand right. your ground. And yeah. And I don't even know if it's confidence is the right word. Cause people are like, you gotta have confidence. It's the fact that you just know, right. It's like, yeah, there's knowledge this and is teal. It's not blue. It's not yeah. green. It's teal. Yeah. There's it's, it's knowledge, knowledge and, right. and wisdom and wisdom of the yes. years and the, and the, and the stress and the, the research that you've done that, or yeah, other, I wasn't like strong. Said, I wasn't brave. I was right. Like just, Sheila said, yeah. she's had an expert explain everything to her. She's had the, the person, the yeah. physician that is the, the person for this disease, explain everything to her in grave detail. And when you get somebody new that may have only read it once in a book, they're, they're not the expert. And then they, they need to understand that, that they're, that the, you know, the family member or the person dealing with the disease is the expert over them, but it's, it's hard. It's hard, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it is really, when it, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, go, no, go ahead. Um, when, when you were going through this with Lily at one point, they were going to take your kids away because they believed you were actually. Oh no, abused. that, that wasn't me. Oh, that wasn't that was you. Okay. the show. Oh, yeah, that was luckily, on the show. Okay. Luckily that's never happened to us. Um, oh, but God. we have other families that we know that have children with Chromo that it's actually happened with. Um, the worst that happened wow. with us is they just don't believe you. They say it's for attention. They kind of look at you like you're crazy. Um, but we do have another family that we're very close to, and her chromo started earlier, and she had a break in her wrist, and they accuse the mom of grabbing her too hard by her wrist and putting her at risk. And 
Um, so her, she would be on the playground and all of a sudden her femur would just snap. So they knew that, no, this is not abuse of any sort, but they were able to eventually identify a gene for her that, um, was affected causing the issue. But we, I've dealt with so many families. I, I'm an advocate internationally for different families with rare disease and the stories they tell you are just horrific. It's, it's in what doctors don't realize. I, I, I read a lot on Twitter and stuff, and I, I follow a lot of doctors. And one recently asked, is it more important to, and he was addressing other doctors, is it more important to have skill or bedside manner? And it, and he was so egotistical about it. He's like, oh, skill trumps this and, and all that. And I said, I'm just going to chime in as a rare disease mom. And bedside, if you have skill, you have bedside manner also. They both matter because they both affect the physical and mental health of the patient. Yeah. Um, and it's not just the child going through what what's happening. It's the whole family. Like she has a sibling. He has his whole life has changed. I mean, we almost lost our business. There's, there's so much going on and the mental health aspect is so important. I mean, I remember at five years old, we're a religious family. Mm -hmm. Um, but my daughter's faith is the strongest. How does of, anyone make it through anything yeah, without God? Like right. to me, it's, it's crazy. She has the strongest faith of all of us, but at five years old, my daughter asked me, mom, what did I do wrong? Why won't God help me? She asked me this at five years old at a time when, you know, she's supposed to still believe in magic and, and all of that. And so I could barely explain it at the time, but they're trying to make sense of this. And the more compassion that you can have, the better, you know, we're, like I said, she's, she's, She's older now. Her faith, she still goes through a lot. I mean, there's some days she had, there's some, she's, she recently was in a wheelchair for four months, you know? Um, so she's still going through a lot. She's in pain every single day. She has to have painkillers twice a day. Um, she has bisphosphonate infusions that are three days long in the hospital. She has blood work. She has steroid infusions. She has all this stuff. Um, but her faith in God is so strong. Um, and I know I'm kind of going everywhere, but there's no, so much that I want to address. That yeah. Her disease is also an invisible disease. So you don't see what's going on. And, and these kids will mask a lot. So she'll be running and playing one day. And the next day, she will she can barely move. She's limping. And so it makes the disease really hard to understand. So there's that obstacle of trying to get people to understand it can change from moment to moment. And that if when they see her at her best, they don't know that how much medication she's on. They don't know what she has to go through to be able to function like that. They don't know any of that. Um, and if she were to miss like a day or two of her medication, she would be in a wheelchair. They don't see that, you know? So yeah. there's so many obstacles to overcome and just, it's so crucial to have compassion when you're a professional dealing with these families and to consider their voice in all of it. Invisible diseases are so difficult. Um, I had wanted to do a, a promotional ad when I was at Rollins College about invisible diseases because I knew people with so many issues. When you talk about sickle cell, lupus, um, even celiac, it's people don't understand because they can't see it. You're not in a wheelchair. I, I didn't understand. I remembered when I was at school and I was refusing the disability things because I could just do it. I don't really know why that made me stronger. Because it didn't. people stigmatize it also. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I don't really understand looking back what my thought process was, but the guy who ran the disability, he was in a wheelchair. He couldn't do anything without a wheelchair. He had dogs that worked for him. He had AIDS, you know, all the time. And, um, 
he was married, but obviously you don't want to put that pressure on your spouse. He had people that came in and just him and did stuff. So he was independently being able to care for himself without putting the weight on the spouse. And um, he was discussing this with me in detail. And he said, let me make this really clear to you. If I didn't use what I need to get through the day, my wife would be stressed and overwhelmed. My dogs would be just anxious and running all over. They wouldn't know how to help me. And he goes, and I would just be like, no, I'm going to get ready myself. I'm going to get dressed myself. I'm going to go to work by myself. I couldn't, he said, I have to, I couldn't crawl to the door. He's like, what would I do? And I said, yeah, but he goes, you have issues too. And you need to fix them. Well, the reason I'm telling the story is because even the people with invisible diseases believe I should be able to do this. Mm. And I had a friend with sickle cell going through it and she kept fighting not to get it. And she ended up in the hospital one semester and it took her out and she couldn't come back. She was, she had had, she almost died that semester. It was really mm. terrible. And I remember when I got my, uh, the, the approval to have, you know, extra test time and uh, take tests privately and to get extensions if I was sick, things like that. My grades went up half a point. So instead of an A minus, I'd get A's. Instead of B pluses, I got A's. And my GPA just went up mm -hmm. after that. And it was nothing different than just using the resources available to me mm -hmm. that I believed I could have to fight uphill. And I think one of the things with Lily is having to constantly fight and overcome everything. It just, it ends up making you stronger, but it wears you down. Mm -hmm. It wears you down. And with it, it where, I mean, what you and your husband, I can't even imagine every single day you're watching it on the front line. You're the one holding her when she's crying. You're the one giving her medicine. You're the one watching her not want to take mm -hmm. any more needles. Yeah. And it's, it changes everything. Um, you, it changes the dynamic of your family. A lot of marriages don't make it through it. Uh, it just changes everything. And you, you are trying to do the best that you can. You, you're very sleep deprived. You are up all night researching. You barely sleep. Um, and you're, it feels like you're always, like you said, exactly, you, you hit it, that you're always having to fight. You're always having to fight and there's no respite. And it feels like you've been thrown out into the wolves and there's no, yeah. in rare disease, unlike cancers, there's no integrated, comprehensive approach to rare disease. You're just kind of thrown out there. And we'd like to change that. We'd like a more integrated, comprehensive approach across domains where everybody's on board. You have a, a special team of doctors that are already organized, but you're not. When you have a rare disease, you're just, and part of that is because it's not incentivized financially to do something like that because the, the rare disease um, is so rare that the the, ins the insurance companies, they, the FDA for drug approvals and clinical trials and all that, there's not enough money to be made. And so I think that the emphasis on incentivizing it is what kind of holds it, holds it back. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's a lot of obstacles and a, a lot of families. I've luckily my daughter's school is amazing. Um, but a lot of families I've had to advocate for because the schools just don't understand. And every year when Lily starts a new school year, I go and I, I talk to her teachers because I don't want them to forget. I bring in literature, I, I share videos, I share um, videos from her other rare disease, chromo patients, I share it from her doctors, but I go in and remind them because um, even though I'm repeating myself, it's new teachers and we want them, you walk this balance, you want compassion for your child, but um, as I shared with you, I, I have a dual master's, a doctorate degree, I have post-grad work at Harvard and Hebrew U. I want my, I do want my child to excel, I want her to 
um, fulfill her potential. I want her to excel. I expect her to excel. I'm not trying, parents are not trying to get away with anything when they ask for that extra time on a test or whatever. And you're so afraid that they're going to think that you're just trying to ask for a favor when, when it's not that it's just that, you know, what your child has to go through and you just want some compassion and some help to get, to get them there. And luckily her teachers have understood, but a lot of teachers don't. And that's another obstacle that rare disease families have to face is just the school system all the time. I think everybody, um, doctors, the legal system for sure, um, teachers, everybody, they overlook mental health. Mm -hmm. And like what you're saying, bedside manner matters at the top priority. There's no exception. I've literally, my sister was there with me at the emergency room watching a doctor not look at me and read off a page what was not wrong with me. Read off a page. Oh my word. Mm -hmm. The doctor that was standing there, she's like, so there's nothing wrong. I said, look at me. I am swollen. And it was like this swollen up under here. She goes, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's not lymph nodes. And I looked at her and I said, maybe it's because you're not aware. It's not weight. She's like, excuse me. I said, I'm sorry. This is when I get really bad. I get really bitchy in emergency rooms. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's it's because you're skinny. So you actually don't know. And at the time I was like 45 pounds less than I am now. <laughs> and so I wasn't like really big, but it just would always hit me to the point where the doctors aren't listening. And um, then I say things that I mean, <laughs> and that's, that's where we get in trouble. And we were there and the doc- she walks away and the doctor looked at me and he goes, I don't need a, pa- a paper with lab work to tell me what's wrong with you. Wow. I'm looking at you. He goes, some doctors are so blind to looking at a patient and actually having bedside manner. Yep. He told me this. Now I'm going to give him credit because he was Irish. So I'm going to chalk it up to that. That's why he had a soul. And he, <laughs> and he said, I literally am looking right at you. You have an infection. This is hot and swollen. There's things happening. I don't know what is going on. I don't know what it is. Um, this is right around the time we found out I had an autoimmune issue, but we just didn't know what was mm-hmm. causing it. And I would wear down and I still have issues where I wear down. Right, Kyle? Like I'll, something will happen. Mm-hmm. I'll get cross contaminated and I wear down and it's like someone just pulls out all my batteries and I just, yeah. I lose my, my bump. And I, that's, that's not frequent. It's spaced out. You're dealing with it every couple days. You're watching Lily have her batteries gone all the time. You have to refill her every every few hours. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine the pressure as a parent going in that, but the mental health that they overlook is just disgusting. And I feel like, uh, I know Kyle as an EMT is trained on that Mm -hmm. to address. And he's had cases where he shows up and those people aren't going to make it. And he has to hold their hand and talk Mm -hmm. to them. And that bedside manner for an EMT is the top of the list. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't understand why it's not taught what the problem is. I find it disgusting. And, um, I don't know. I feel like you said something else about, um, you know, taking the initiative and having to really, you have to be on top of it. Mm -hmm. And I know those weren't your exact words, but you, that's what you were saying. Like you as the parent had to take control Mm -hmm. and you as the patient. And, um, I think a lot of times people watching you didn't give you enough credit for that. Not that I know anybody in this situation. So anyone listening, I'm not talking about you, but if you feel bad, it's probably about you. Um, 
just going to point that out. Um, but I mean, the reality is you, you had to do what you knew and you mm-hmm. had to keep pushing and keep demanding. And um, people don't like that, especially when they believe that they're in a place that they should be above something mm-hmm. instead of remembering and checking themselves and knowing their place is I'm here to help the patient. I'm not here to help my ego. Right. Exactly. And um, I think that's a huge thing for me. I have a friend that always says, he's like, you have a really low tolerance for bullshit. He goes, and there's something that comes over you. It's Luke. It's, 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 it's Luke Kyle from college. And he Mm -hmm. says, there's something that comes over you. I can see it in your eye. He goes, the minute someone turns that page on you, (laughs) he goes, and you're just like, he goes, you will just be calm and nice and together. <laughs> well, you know, I admire that because a lot of times our voice is one of our most powerful tools. Yeah. But a lot of times as females, not to go there, but as females, no, you're taught to. to be nice. And if you aren't nice yep. and you state your opinion, then you're a bitch, yeah. you know, or that you're aggressive or you're, what, you're being too much right yeah. now. We don't, we don't like how hard you're being yeah. right now. And, um, your negativity is overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Or you're being you're dramatic. Constant. Somebody yes. actually said that yeah. to me. Somebody said, you're so dramatic about your child. And I'm like, oh my God, if your child doesn't paint every day, wow. they had a rare disease. I, I was just blown right. away. And it, I, I mean, I cried many times at night just thinking that that's right. what somebody thought. Um, but we, I want to teach my daughter how to advocate for herself. I want her to speak up. And you, you spoke about gaslighting and it happens in the medical field all the time. And it especially happens to women. And you did do things that we um, always advocate for as you use your voice and you brought someone with you. And it's amazing in the beginning when I started to catch on to all of this, if I brought my husband with, they were much more apt to listen mm-hmm. to him as a mm-hmm. male than oh. to me as a female. Kyle can say the same That's words funny. I say, exactly the same mm-hmm. words, so can my brother. And people are like, well, this man is upset. There's obviously something serious going on. Mm-hmm. The minute a woman gets upset. They're too dramatic. They're she's too being emotional. too dramatic. And they're demeaning about it. Mm-hmm. They're demeaning to you. Um, I I know Kyle's daughter very, very well. He's definitely raised her to have a voice. Um, I'm not even yeah, sure. So he much that it. I can't even. I can't, <laughs> even like, I can't even parent her. It's so much. I can't oh, even I, be a dad. I, I, I actually love it. I was watching them the other day. She had something in the dryer. Mm-hmm. We were taping some. Dad, <laughs> did you restart this dryer? Well, they were wet. Came no try. Ah, oh, I wanted him to be wet, Dad. I was, <laughs> and I'm like hysterical. I was trying to do something good. She was I was trying to help out She's for the love of Christ. <laughs> but she wasn't even afraid of him. There was no. She never is. She's never is, which is, I look as a good thing. When I see kids that are a little afraid of their parent, there's a problem. There should be complete freedom for a girl to say something to her right. father that she disagrees or right. she's whatever. And I see a definite problem. And that girl has a voice, man. No one could take it away. And you have to raise your kids to know that. Mm-hmm. We can't keep raising our daughters to be polite. Right. We can't keep raising them to, you know what? Let's just smile. Right. Let's just, no. And your situation, you had no choice but to, um, I don't, step up isn't the right word. I would say stand your ground, yeah. not let anyone take your voice. And even now, like you said, you're still dealing with that. Yeah. yeah and I, she has a diagnosis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is the end of the first part of our interview with Sheila Hain of Children's Rare Care. You can catch part two or the entire episode on our YouTube channel, as well as all major podcast platforms like Apple, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and our hosting platform, Podbeam.